This is Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, episode 73, recorded on June 19th, 2017. I am your host, Matt Lyons, and on this week's episode, we've got a week's worth of pretty great games to talk about. We're going to talk about the tribe's growing lead in the AL Central. We'll get to the bottom of lineup construction, and if it really actually matters, hint, it probably doesn't. We'll briefly preview the Baltimore Orioles series, which has already started, so if you're listening to this, it's kind of a preview of three of the four games at least. And of course, we'll answer your questions. Before we get into all that, as always, I want to thank everybody listening live now on Facebook or wherever or whenever you may be tuning in. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, YouTube, Google Play, anything like that. And consider leaving a review or a comment or anything relevant, depending on where you're listening. Uh, joining me for all that and more, as always, is Mr. Jason Lucart. Jason, I regret to inform you, I've been traded to the Cavs for Kevin Love and a protected first round pick. The rumors have been out there, but it, it's finally happened. The Cavs need a big who can play some defense, so it seems like a smart move. You know, I feel like I'm tall at 6'8", but I would be like, what, a shooting guard maybe? I could be like a tall shooting guard or a small, small forward. Small forward. <laughs> Which seems crazy. And I know because one person I work with is a Yankees fan. She uses me as a like a measuring stick for Aaron Judge. Because I'm actually an inch taller than Aaron Judge, apparently. Because he's 6'7", and I'm 6'8". So I've got that for, going for me, but if I was in basketball, it wouldn't be. It'd be ridiculous. <laughs> How you doing, Jason? I'm good. Uh, that Indians twin series was was enjoyable. Uh, I'd say a little bit, yeah. <laughs> and the one going on now apparently looks pretty enjoyable. I was yeah, watching it while we were preparing. So things are things are going well. There, there's your series preview. Eleven nothing in the first game. <laughs> that is the game with Corey Kluber. So I didn't really need eleven runs, but they got him. So that's a fun thing. Um, but before we get onto that, let's talk about, like you said, the twin series. I don't have, I don't think any of my notes are from the, the Dodgers series because that wasn't as fun. But in general, um, yeah, the Indians swept the twins obviously over four games with a doubleheader on Saturday. A little bit of the weather issues for what was it, the second game of the doubleheader, I think it was a rain delay. But, um, my first big thing from the last games is just Edwin and Jose. This could be for the whole month, basically. They've been amazing. As of tonight, Jose Ramirez has doubled in seven straight games. I think I saw that's like the first time since 1913. Um, I mean, the two of them together, they just did not allow the Indians to go on a losing streak. I, I know everybody played a part in it, but like if you look, it, it's extreme cherry picking and narrative driven. But if you look at the Indians winning games over the last month, it was all Jose and Edwin stepping up to, to win the game. So as far as cheap, non-statistical romanticizing of baseball, they were kind of the big stoppers for the Indians, which is kind of neat and... Jose is great, and it's great to see Edwin finally living up to the contract, and everyone who complained about him in April is maybe slightly a little bit quieter about it, I hope. Yeah, I I said something about that on Twitter a few days ago, even before he continued to hit so well, and someone wrote back, and they were like, ah, that's because he sucked then, now he's playing better, so of course people aren't saying anything. <laughs> but that's missing the point. Like People weren't saying, oh, he's, he's having a bad start. People were saying this was a terrible signing, this is a disaster, which was colossally stupid because you can't judge a contract for the guy's first three weeks. Uh, Jose Ramirez just hit another double. Oh, no, he's going for third. We're, we're, we're locked <laughs> Jose Ramirez extra base hits. Which and we just got to take down notice from MLB. <laughs> um, but, no, people were writing off Encarnacion completely. He's been a slow starter throughout his career. Um, and, yeah, he's been hitting the snot out of the ball. I think in the last month, Aaron Judge is, is – the only guy who's maybe been a better hitter than Encarnacion. But Jose Ramirez is a guy who really jumps out at me. He was just named American League Player of the Week. 
which is fun, and deservedly so. He hit 516. You mentioned all the doubles. He had three home runs in there, too. Uh, his, his weighted runs created plus uh, for the week was 325, which uh, that's, that's, that's kind of good. Experts say that's kind of <laughs> good. What is that, roughly 3.3 times better than every or the average baseball player is what he essentially is? Yeah. And, like, for context, in Mike Trout's best season, I think he had, like, almost 200. It was, like, 195 or maybe a little over 200. But Yeah. No, I mean, like, of course it's over a week. But. Full season, 150 is fantastic. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was the, the Lucart jinx. I've argued should be called the Lucart effect. People say <laughs> it's a jinx because I, I used to write about something going and immediately the bottom would drop out. But I would also write about things going poorly, and then suddenly they would turn around. Jan Gomes' best baseball last year came in the immediate aftermath of the two times I wrote about how terrible Jan Gomes was playing. <laughs> and I tend to be pretty level-headed about stuff. I don't get real down on players or the team. Uh, I was so frustrated during, I guess, the, the second game of the Dodgers series. And I, all I tweeted was, the Indians suck. Uh, and about to be six straight <laughs> wins later, again, the Luke Cart, it's an effect, not a jinx. And I think I deserve a pretty significant amount of credit. My The Indians suck tweet, clearly the impetus for this six-game winning streak. I think all the credit would be appropriate. I don't know if I just go some. I'm going to go all. That's It was I'm clearly that tweet. Win a little. Uh, and then, yeah, me. Something, My but... fault when the Indians lose their next six games in a row. So easy come, <laughs> easy go. <laughs> no, that's not your fault. It's only their fault when they're good, Jason. That's not that's not how f- taking credit works. You only take credit for the good things. You never mention the bad, ever. <laughs> so what else did you notice from other than the fact that the Indians sucked for the first half of the week? What else stuck <laughs> yeah, out to you? That was my main observation for the first <laughs> couple of games. Uh, yeah, I mean, that twin series... The Indians are better than the Twins. They, they should have won that series. But you can never expect to sweep a four-game series. Uh, and, you know, things have gone a different way. If, if, the, if the Twins had swept that series, the Indians would have been six games back. And it would have been, I think, time to legitimately discuss, like, you know, that's a pretty big hole. But instead, we don't have to worry about that. Uh, two-game lead, about to be two-and-a-half-game lead. I know one of the things we're going to get into later, but I'm just going to jump the gun and bring it up now. And you can you can give credit where credit is due if, if you weren't the one who came up with this. But will the Indians fall out of first place again this year? Mm, I don't know. I'm, I was going to – I heard that for, for the record. I, I didn't think of that question. I heard it on MLB Network Radio. I know you don't know. I, mean, I can see the future. No, I heard him mention Plus, that on, on the radio, and then I never heard what they actually said. So I thought I'd do it for us without listening to what they said. And I'm not sure. I'd, I'd always take the field on this kind of thing. Like, you know, I say maybe they'll dip one game behind. But, I mean, they're only two games ahead of the Twins, and the Twins are going to be terrible. They're the only team in the AL Central with a plus run differential. And, I mean, it is the closest division, technically, because the White Sox are last and five and a half game behind. But that's not going to last. That's going to be – they're going to fall back further than that. So – I think there's a chance they never do. Well, I think, I mean, they, they play the Twins again. And so the, the, the Twins could, I guess, return the favor, sweep them, and take over first place again. But if the Indians get through the next week without falling out of first place, I feel like they've got a pretty decent shot at just 
running the table the rest of the way. Last week, I said the Tigers were my biggest concern in the division, and you said it was still the Twins. The Twins are in second place. Uh, the White Sox, in last place, actually have the second-best run differential. Are the Twins still who you're – if you had to pick a team to be – that's going to – if the Indians were going to lose, do you still think it would be the Twins? Yeah, if they do. I don't think they will. But if they do, I think it's going to be the Twins. And it would have to be because the Indians just totally collapsed. I don't think it's going to be Twins. are going to be great. I think last week you said it would be like a division winner having like 85 wins or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a hard time picturing anyone but the Indians – in the division winning more than like 84 games or so. So right. we'll see. They've got, you know, this series in Baltimore, then they play the twins. Then somewhere in that following two weeks, they have like seven games against the tigers. So if by the end of that stretch, like two weeks from now, if the Indians have, have, have taken the series this weekend against Minnesota and win more than they lose against Detroit, I think they'll at that point, like, I don't know, will be like maybe a week into July or something. And if at that point the Indians have like a five-game lead, I'll be pretty, pretty confident. <laughs> so your answer is basically if they're leading after this week, probably. And if they're leading after July, like almost certainly they will. If, they're, if they're leading after those two series against Detroit, then yeah, I think for me to be pretty confident says something. Because I'm generally, despite the tweet last week. <laughs> stuff, I'm also sort of pessimistic. I'm pessimistic, <laughs> I just keep it to myself, I guess. Yeah, you're not loudly pessimistic. Are there, is there any worry about the Twins, or not the Twins, but the, the Royals for you, who are apparently started winning lately, but they're still probably going to sell off at the deadline? Yeah, I mean, again, my natural pessimism means that I'm, I'm willing to be a little concerned about anyone. Uh, <laughs> Those White me, Sox, man, the they're coming out of nowhere. I think the Tigers are the If someone's going to add anything between now and the end of the season, I think it would be the Tigers. I'm not especially concerned about them, but... Yeah. If they're close at the deadline, I could see them, you know, given that a lot of their guys are likely on the downward slope of their career and Illich died, maybe trying to do one sort of last win it for him kind of situation. I don't think I want the, the Royals to do is be just good enough where they think they're going to compete so they don't trade everything at the deadline. I mean, it's collapse. <laughs> That's my dream scenario. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm like Twitter friends with a couple Royals fans and – they're all like, I either want them to win the next 10 or lose the next 10. Like, I don't want them, I don't want there to be any like, oh, I don't know which way it's going to go. Well, even if you win the next 10, you can still easily lose the division. So I hope they win the next 10, personally. Because I don't think they're going to be good enough all year long. So I want them to win. I'm rooting for the Twins until exactly August 1st. <laughs> or not the Twins, but the Royals. Until August 1st and then everybody else. <laughs> which I don't think is a bad bet. Right. And the thing with the Indians playing the Twins, like over the weekend, you're... What you said about if the Twins swept, it'd be a complete opposite story. Most of the time when I sort of try to think about opinions, I think about like that. Like if, if one or two little things went wrong, how much would it change what I thought? But the Indians won by so much in every game. It's not like it was a ball that got by here and there and they could have easily been swept. It was domination like every game. And tonight, so maybe they are legitimately getting better. And it's the kind of thing where if they, they lost, they lost the team, they or since they won... It's just, oh, it's a team they should have beat. Who cares? And then if they lost, it's, oh, they're terrible because they didn't beat the Twins. So the fact that they blew them out and they're supposed to blow them out, I guess, is a good thing. Um, I do want to see them face more competitive teams, but I think you can still be excited about the fact that they swept a team uh, over four games. And by that much, too. Yeah. Because yeah. if they all were really close games, I'd still be a little bit worried. 
American League is just weird, though. The the Yankees, ha ha ha, have lost six games in a row, uh, and are now tied with Boston for first place. Uh, other than the Astros, the rest of the American League is separated by a whopping eight games. The yep. the o- Oakland A's have the worst record. The Yankees, by like percentage points over the Red Sox, have the second best record. And the A's and Yankees are only eight games apart. So it'll be interesting to see how things shake out for the next six weeks or so, you know, leading up to the trade deadline. Because there are eight or nine teams that could could easily be on either side of the buyer or seller question. Yeah, I'm just really thankful that the Indians are in the AL Central right now. Because, I mean, the West, you'd have the Astros. And in the East, you have, like, every other team who might be good all of a sudden, so... It's basically just the Indians in the Central, as we thought it would be. The only other thing I had for the past games, real quick, was uh, the Cavens in the outfield. Bradley Zimmer, he threw one from center field yesterday. 101.5 miles per hour, which is the fastest stat cast has ever recorded. Which, that throw was a bullet, and it was low, like, to the ground. So, it was basically a pitch. <laughs> it was like those training ones that you see driveline guys do to prepare. The crow hop, where they run up and throw it. But, but still, 101 miles per hour on a throw. I don't care what you're doing. That is insane. Um, and then between him and I guess for now, Daniel Robertson in the outfield, he's had some really good throws. And of course, we know Lonnie Chisenhall can throw, uh, Brantley, maybe not quite as much, but the days of the Indians having all these weak arms in the outfield might be over for a little bit at least, which is kind of neat. Um, as long as Zimmer sticks around, I imagine he will. I don't know what kind of arm that any of the other prospects in the outfield have, but at least for now, the Indians have some really good arms out there. And then Zimmer looks like he can hit so far and play defense and, Chisenhall can throw like crazy, you know, occasionally he can play defense. So the, the outfield's looking better and better every week. We've talked about it almost every week, but specifically the fact that they can all throw so hard is really neat to watch. Yeah, and I saw Brantley's on the DL, I didn't have, but I don't think it's seen as anything super concerning or anything like that. He was gone over the weekend anyway on paternity leave. Yeah. Um, Which, congratulations to him, by the way. I don't know if that's yeah. his first child or not, but I, I don't... Baseball players are really good at... Which I can't blame him for not releasing all that stuff all the time, but I don't know if that's Brantley's first or not, but good for him. And I think it was his ankle, right? Is that injured? Speaking, yeah, it was. And he apparently, someone was like, how do you, how do you injure yourself <laughs> on paternity leave? Uh, and A, I can think of a couple ways, but B, he apparently, the, in, the ankle was already sore and they just decided it would be good to let him get some extra rest. And with him already having missed a few games and the DL only being 10 days, um, you know, he can be back by what, probably a week from today? Yeah, and they can retro... Yeah, it wouldn't even have to be a week, because they can do it like a few more days before that, I think, so not that long yeah. at all. And he's not using it to just spend more time with his kids, although if he wanted to, I'd be really fine with that, but he's in the dugout tonight, so it's not like he's home just sitting on his ankle, so, so yeah, he'll be back soon. Uh, speaking of kids, with the the draft last week, I was <laughs> stunned to see... I don't know, I don't know if you... How much... God, it was that many years ago. I don't know how much you were watching non-Indians baseball in the early 2000s, but I'm sure a lot of our listeners remember Dusty Baker's little kid son, Darren Baker, almost getting run over at home plate during the World Series between the Giants and Angels, J.T. Snow grabbing him out of the way. Darren Baker just got drafted by the Washington Nationals, and I am not ready for a world where that little (laughs) tiny kid is an MLB draftee. I'm incredibly old apparently <laughs> well i think i saw he's going back to college so at least he's not quite in the major or in the minors yet we still have maybe another couple years 
<laughs> but yes, the fact that he's even drafted is crazy and makes me feel old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it was Dusty was the manager on the Giants then, and Dusty's the manager yeah. on the Nationals now, so it's kind of neat. But yeah, that's and seeing all these birthdays and like the late nineties that are coming up and is there any there's not too many two thousands yet, are there? I'm sure there's probably like international ones. There have been international signees who were born in 2000. So I think uh, potentially next year we'll get the first draft pick born in the year 2000. And yeah, that's That's too much. That's crazy. (laughs) Okay. So um, when those those young kids get up here, um, this is the greatest segue in the history of segues. They're going to be put up in a lineup. They're going to be put in a lineup. Um, I guess basically it doesn't matter where they go. For the Indians' situation now, um, there's been a kind of a big discussion around where the Indians have everybody just because they have so many good batters. They're just everywhere. Um, Jose Ramirez is batting sixth most of the time. Edwin fifth. For a while, Tito had Carlos leading off, and he switched to Jason Kipnis for a spark, I guess. It kind of worked for a little while. Kipnis has been really good from the leadoff spot. Uh, But also Lindor and Bradley Zimmer took some uh, hits in leadoff when, when Kipnis went down. And I don't know, does it does it matter to you at all? Because this is a thing a lot of people are talking about now. People get all upset about it. And I get upset when they're like Zimmer sit for platooning, which we've talked about a lot before. But I don't care if he's like hitting ninth, third, first. Um, yeah, I mean. It's, it's not a big deal. I guess to say it matters at all, it matters to me. Like if they trotted out a lineup and, you know, I don't know, Gomes was hitting leadoff and. Encarnacion was batting that like there is a lineup that's like theoretically possible that I would think was really stupid but in, like within the range of what's a plausible lineup for Francona to put together I I don't think it really matters much um you could argue that Lindor and Kipnis at the top of the lineup is not great lineup construction just because Right now, they have the the two lowest on base percentages uh, of of anyone in tonight's lineup, at least. Um, and you know, in theory, you should have higher on base percentage guys at the top. But again, like I, it's just one. Lindor and Kipnis are both good offensive players, and two. I just I think over the course of a full season, uh, you know, whatever some supercomputer might generate, I think you're looking at like runs that you could count on your fingers maybe need a couple of those or something like that i don't think it's a big deal yeah it's um so in the book which is by um tom tango mitchell lichman andy dolphin it's a like it's not one of the, it's one of the first sabermetrics books i think it was in the, like, the 80s or 90s a long time ago but um and it was basically summarized by skull cockman on beyond the box score a few years ago but um do you want to guess how many wins over 162 games the perfect lineup would get you over just a random jumble of standard baseball lineups. How many do you think? Um, three. One. Yeah. See, I was going to be three because I was like, I want to see you, but then it's like it. Oh, stupid. Yeah. No, I mean. <laughs> it's one. That's... There you go. Like I said, I mean, when I said you could count the runs on your yeah, fingers, you could. Toes, I should have been able to translate that to like one and a half wins. Yeah. Uh, so and that's I, I an should... absolutely perfect lineup every single game compared to just what managers would normally trot out. So, yeah, I mean, you want your good hitters near the top, but that's just because you want them batting more. And you know, your your number one hitters usually going to bat one more time than your number nine hitter. But beyond stuff like that, 
Yeah, it's not. It just doesn't matter. The only thing I really care about with roster construction, like if Kipnis says I feel better hitting leadoff and nobody else objects to that, sure, just put him there. He's not that terrible a hitter. And you said we about before, like when he, you mentioned it last week, actually, and at some point earlier when Kipnis first was hitting leadoff and was doing especially well, we talked about it, and that's exactly what we said then. Like, yeah. I think roster lineup construction matters in that the manager needs to be aware of how someone's ego might be affected by something and, and that sort of stuff. But again, it's just, that's, it's managing personalities. It's not the actual statistical advantage you're going to get because these guys are your three, four, and five instead of your three, four, and six. Yeah. And, and I'm not even trying to be a contrarian, but I really can't think of any lineup, no matter how, how horrible it would be, that would make me genuinely upset to see. <laughs> Like if we have Jan Gomes is leading off and then Canaro is hitting nine, like okay, like it's kind of weird, but I'd be okay. Well, with it. It's also partially because the Indians have so many good hitters. Michael Martinez is back with oh, the Indians and batting it up. I'm going to remind you of what you just said. <laughs> okay, that one maybe a tiny bit, but see that's just upset because Martinez is in the lineup at all. That's that's the issue there. But anybody who is could be in the lineup, I don't think I'd care where they go. Like Eric Gonzalez, put him first, whatever. I don't care. Yeah, but there's also, again, it's just because the Indians have so many good hitters. Like, you can put them anywhere on most lineups, and they're going to be okay. Um, yeah. The um, the Indians right now, obviously, I think somebody commented just a minute ago, is 11 nothing. <laughs> it's probably worse by now. Uh, but the Indians are playing the Royals. Uh, tonight, it was Corey Kluber against Dylan Bundy. Didn't go so great for Bundy. Kluber looked amazing. There's already a couple gifts of the pitches he had. He had a fastball that had insane movement on it. Um, there was one... It was something down inside. I guess it was a breaking ball, but somebody went to swing and tried to check it and couldn't. It was just ridiculous looking. Um, then Tuesday, Josh Tomlin against Chris Tillman. Wednesday, Carrasco, Kevin Gossman. Thursday, Clevenger, Wade Miley. They're all 7 p.m. start. So nothing really unique stands out there, I guess, except maybe that Clevenger starting Thursday. And he's kind of just kept, kept doing what he needs to stick around, but not really. Okay, he's been good for handfuls of start, but he always has the one or two that ends up getting him options. So. Um, what do you think of these, these matchups coming up here? Do you think this could be Clevenger's, if he's bad, is he going to be sent down again, or is he sticking around a while this time? I've been wrong about <laughs> what would happen with Clevenger, no. like every time I've talked about it. So I guess uh, I'll say I think he's going to stick around for a while. Yeah. Is, do you, do you, um, I guess we didn't talk about it, but it happened the last week. Ryan Merritt's start. Do you think there's any chance of him sort of overtaking Clevenger? Uh, I don't think he pitched well enough in his, his one start to have jumped ahead of him. Um, going into the season, I thought Merritt would be ahead of Clevenger and was wrong about that. Uh, but, I, you know, Merritt pitched well enough. Um, but I have to think Clevenger was ahead of him going into the weekend. Clevenger's still ahead of him. Yeah, so anything else about the Orioles? Um, apparently after tonight, their offense might not be great and their pitching might not be good either. <laughs> they did just get pummeled by the Yankees, so it's happened. Is it going to happen again? Like, Do you think the Indians can have another sweep and start a big streak, or is somebody going to win here? I guess Tomlin Tillman maybe isn't maybe isn't in the Indians' favor, but even that's pretty close. And Clevenger, Wade Miley, that might be in the Indians' favor. And Carrasco, Kevin Gossman, I think that's heavily in the Indians' favor. So Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I would almost literally never predict a four-game sweep. So I anticipate they'll lose a game in there and won't be surprised if they lose more than one game in there. Um, but same as against the Twins. The Indians are better than the Orioles, so in theory they should be beating them. The Orioles have a good offense but don't have good pitching. Uh, 
they have the second worst run differential in the American League right now. They're, they have a 500 record for another two innings until they fall <laughs> the game below, but they're not a good team. You know, just because you said that, they're going to mount like a 13-inning, ninth inning now, or 13-run ninth inning, just because you said that, Jason. If, yes, I've mentioned multiple times I've already <laughs> talked about tonight as a win, so if the Orioles come back, that would be the Luke artifact. <laughs> So uh, we're going to move on to social media questions. Everybody on on Mondays, we already asked Facebook, Twitter. You can even email us if you want. SBN, let's go try it com. Just any, anything you want to know. It, it'd be nice if it was geared about baseball. <laughs> Just not about prospects. Those are on Thursday, but every Monday. Anything you want to know about baseball, mainly the Indians, but anything in general we're good with, I think. Our first one comes from Jacob, Jacob Keefe on Facebook. I really like this one just because it's, it's different. He wants to know, is it appropriate to throw your hat on the field as a visiting fan and your favorite team? Your favorite team's player hit three, hits three home runs, or is it a bad idea? Almost experienced such a situation with EE yesterday. So this is kind of an interesting thing. I mean, hockey, obviously, you throw your hats on for hat tricks. The, the baseball doesn't really have anything remotely like this. Like, we're all, everybody does one collective celebration. I think the closest is sort of in Wrigley Field where you can throw the ball back if it's a home run or something like that. But do you like the idea of baseball ever allowing something like that? Even if it's not throwing something on the field, just kind of one, I guess the closest is the wave, which is terrible, but any kind of unified celebration when something big happens, baseball doesn't really have it. I think it's kind of cool that hockey does. Yeah. uh, I don't know. I mean, I think like if there's something spontaneous, then that's fine. I, I, I mean, so many of like, I mean, there are things, but they're just, it's like stuff like the rally monkey. Yeah. And, which I, I think maybe started like sort of randomly. Like I think someone goofing around put a monkey up with that and then the Angels <laughs> actually did come back and win, so it caught on. So like, again, that had like a funny, spontaneous origin. Um, but I think like going out of your way to try to create stuff a lot of times ends up being pretty lame. Throwing hats is already a hockey thing and baseball hats are expensive. I'm not throwing a $25 (laughs) fitted hat on the field just because a guy hit three home runs up. I can just high five people around. I like to imagine everybody throwing your hats and you're just like, no, I'm not doing it. I'll high five you, but I'm not throwing my hat. I'm keeping this thing. I definitely would not. (laughs) I also would not throw back a home run ball. Yeah. And, I was I was at Progressive Field and somebody threw it back and there was an usher like right in front of us. He very smugly, but he was correct. But he said that guy's gonna get kicked out. Watch, watch him. He's gonna get kicked out. You can't do that. Only in regular field. They're gonna kick him out. And they did, and everybody booed. <laughs> but I didn't know that before going the to the game. You're throwing something on the field. They're not throwing the ball back at Wrigley Field either. There's like fifty people in the bleachers who bring a baseball with them and then someone hits a home run and then they just hand them the junk ball that they brought with them. They still keep the home run ball and just throw back a different ball half the time. There's a little Chicago insider information for you. My life is a lie. Everything I've known has come crumbling down. But I never knew you couldn't you just weren't allowed to do that, but I guess it makes sense because you're just throwing something on the field which you can't do. Yeah, you're just throwing a projectile potentially hitting someone with it. <laughs> yes. Like I think it's fine that they allow him to do it at Wrigley. Because, again, like, That's however it started. it started there, it was spontaneous and it became a thing. But then it's crappy. It's stupid as soon as anyone else copies it. <laughs> my my best friend is a White Sox fan. And we were years ago at a White Sox game. And a White Sox fan 
caught a home run and threw it back. And my friend was like furious about it. Like that's a stupid Cubs thing. We don't need to rip off their stupid stuff. And he was right. The yeah. place where things originate, it's cool. The, the second team to do it, it's lame. And the eighth team to do it, it's incredibly lame. Yeah. If, you get, if you've caught enough baseballs where you're just fine throwing it back, just give it to a kid. Like in general, I don't care. I'm fine with adults keeping balls. They're allowed to keep them. But if you're going to just throw it back, just give it to a kid then. Like, come on, you don't have to throw it back out there. The only thing I've kind of noticed this year, I don't know if it's new, but in it started, somebody had a really late game really early in the season, and everybody's just started wooing when it got late. <laughs> I think it's a wrestling thing, but I don't know the wrestler's name, but they just go, woo, you hear it in the distance in late game. Oh, that, I love that. That would be Ric Flair, I'm sure. <laughs> Is that's, it? <laughs> that's what brother, it was, yeah. My brother loved Ric Flair, so I'm <laughs> sure that's in Ric Flair. That is what it is. I remember that now. But yeah, it's I've heard it a couple times in Indians games when I've had extra innings, but I, I want to say it was a Pirates game where it started in Pittsburgh, but it was just really late game, and then the whole game there was just a series of, whoa, way in the distance, and it was great. <laughs> so I guess that's kind of the closest we have, and, and I like it. Nothing throwing on the field, no fish, nothing weird like that, but a good woo now and then in extra innings is good. Um, at McCovey Chronicles, who was Grant Brisby, another SBN, SB Nation writer, he wants to know why are the Giants so bad? <laughs> no context, just why are the Giants so bad? I think, I think could... Grant probably knows better than anyone <laughs> the various reasons why the Giants are so bad. But boy, the Giants <laughs> are so bad. And boy, people did not see that coming. They have, I guess not the worst record. The, the Phillies have the worst record. But the Giants have the second worst record in baseball. But if you're racing uh, with the Phillies for the worst record, you're... That's not good anyway. (laughs) They're 19 and a half games out of first place. They're 18 and a half games out of third place because the NL West is stacked with three good teams this year. Uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, Bumgarner's hurt, but it's not like that's the difference between 19 games under 500 and a good season. Uh, I don't know. Their magic seems to have run out. When I look at the roster, I don't feel like they didn't feel like a great roster to begin with to me, so. but I can't say I saw this bad coming. But let's not pretend there's any reason to feel bad for Grant or any other Giants fans <laughs> no. because the Giants won three World Series this decade. How long before you would feel sorry for them? Like another, get into another decade and then maybe some pity when they get like 10 years away from the last championship? For one championship, maybe. Three <laughs> and five true. years? No, I think you're looking at like, 20 years before there's reason to feel bad for them. Yeah, and so you said nobody saw this coming. I was just wondering. I wasn't in the dark, right? This wasn't a team that was expected to be terrible. I'm, I'm pretty sure they were in the offseason intending to win, right? Yes, I, I believe that was the plan. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. I don't, I don't think they're a roster that's bad. I don't know what's so terrible about them. No, I don't think the roster looks bad. I just, I mean, the roster to me looks like an average team and they're obviously significantly worse than average, but, uh, yeah. I think it's just, just long Our, waiting karma for the Warriors fans. So that's another reason like they, they've <laughs> got plenty of success. See the, the main thing I think, I think is just karma for 1954. It's just a long, it's the longest karma comeback ever. And it's just that world series. that's come back for that. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I think it's adorable that you think beating the Indians would be bad karma. I think beating the Indians <laughs> is just an American baseball tradition. Ouch. 
Uh, at Noah Gross 27 wants to know, is Lonnie Chisholm the second coming? Uh, uh, Jason, second is Lonnie Chisholm Hall Jesus? Oh, uh, no. Uh, <laughs> in that case, I'm going I'm to guess no. Uh, Always so pessimistic, more, Jason. Like, second coming of Matt Lawton or something like that. <laughs> wow, we took a steep drop there. Hey, Matt Lawton <laughs> had some good years, all right? There's nothing wrong with being Matt Lawton. He did have a higher war than Jesus, so. There's, See, there you go. There you go. But yeah, I don't know. Do you think? Do you believe in this streak of how good he's been? We can we can start there. Uh, well, I mean, do I believe he's as good as his? Like, I don't believe he's this good. He's like the uh, third best hitter on the team over the season, <laughs> so yeah, probably not I think that good. He's a, a solid player on a a hot streak. Uh, I, I expect him to cool off, but I expect him to be you know an above average player. For the amount of time he plays this season, um, you know, I I like seeing him get more playing time. It certainly makes sense to to go with him while he's hitting this well. Um, I don't know. He's a, he's another guy. He's been so up and down over his career. I mean, he, he's he's had a couple other really good stretches, and then just some dreadful stretches. And then you look at like his overall career numbers, and he's like, oh, and like an exactly average player his, <laughs> his his ops plus i think is like maybe exactly 100 or something like that and you know his defense at times has scored really well and other times not so well like i think he's about as average a player as there has been in major league baseball over the last five or six years which isn't bad maybe not for where, where he was drafted but it's fine there's nothing wrong with that every yeah. even great teams are gonna have players who are average like there's Right now, he's an above-average player. Uh, I would guess going forward, he's more like an average player again. Yeah. Uh, at Merritt Rolfing, he wants to know, obviously he's a Let's Go Tribe who would win in a fight, Jobu or Mini Jose? Uh, everybody should know who Jobu is from Major League. Uh, but if you don't know who Mini Jose is, he was made by Carlos Carrasco. I'm pretty sure it was in the Twin Series. It's just a little baseball with some stuff stuck in there to hair to look like Jose Ramirez. So, so Jason, who wins in a fight? I don't. We have, There's no parameters on how they fight i don't know throw them at each other just set them in a ring see who falls over first jo i don't know boo. who wins joe boo wins joe boo and i'm i'm confident in joe boo i mean he's got the experience uh <laughs> it won't be his first rodeo i'm taking joe boo i'm gonna take the scrappy youngster mini jose i mean he can go pretty fast he's a ball he could go right at joe boo's head <laughs> <laughs> i don't care what magic joe boo has if you don't have a ball <laughs> oh, let's see. That one we already kind of answered. Uh, we'll go with the last one here. We'll make this our last question of the night. Uh, at Vincent Novella one, he wants to know: Does Jose Ramirez look to Edmund for leadership? Both Dominicans seem to be feeding off each other's energy. Um, this is kind of one of those things where, of course, we don't know. But I guess, what do you think, Jason? Does it seem like maybe that's the case? Because there was, of it course, Juan Ramirez. It one. does to me because Jose Ramirez was was playing really well and with a lot of energy last year. I think he's just that kind of player. I mean, if anything, I'd say he was, you know, he and Lindor seem to feed off each other or something like that. Um, I, I don't feel like Jose Ramirez is a different player now than he was before Encarnacion was here. So I don't, I don't feel like Encarnacion was uh, the spark for anything. I mean, I think, you know, the guys are having a lot of fun right now. The two of them are, are hitting so, so well that I'm sure they're having fun together with that. Um, but I don't think, I, I don't know, the, the, the leadership part of it throws me. The 
both of them seem to be feeding off each other I could buy, but I don't think he's looking to Encarnacion for leadership at all. Yeah, I think that's kind of a stat-driven thing first. Is, oh, hey, they're both doing really well. Maybe they must feed off each other. It's not the other way around that they feed off each other so they do really well. I don't... So Juan Uribe was kind of like... It was the whole dad and mini-me thing with Jose Ramirez. But Encarnacion just seems so quiet and to himself and he just explodes once in a while. So I see them as more like Encarnacion is some supervillain. Like he's got the whole suit, or not, you know, like a tuxedo thing going on. And then Ramirez is like also in a suit, but also kind of his energetic sidekick who does all the dirty work. I don't know why. That's just the way I see him if they're going to be a duo. Because Jose is so small compared to Edwin. He's huge. So like if they're going to rob you with a truck or something, uh, Edwin's going to be in the passenger seat. Ramirez is going to be driving and just yelling things out the window at you. And they're going to be a mob boss. <laughs> this is what goes through my head when I'm playing in the podcast, the Jason. My final thing for that, the, the, the question made me think of, uh, just to, I don't I, it probably came out today. I read it today, so I'm assuming it came out today. Um, ESPN has a really cool piece up. Um, I don't know what the, I want to say the title is uh, like baseball experience, but it's baseball in Spanish. Um, and they talked to, I think, 50 major league players who are all, uh, you know, Latino or Hispanic. And just kind of about the experience. And it's it's just like short quotes from players on a number of topics. And, um, you know, getting used to being in the United States for the players who aren't from here. Uh, learning English for the players who have had to do that or are in the process of doing that. Um, culture shock. Uh, baseball culture stuff in terms of, you know, like playing the game the right way. Uh, there's just like five or six different categories. And then each one just has quotes from, you know, dozens of players and there's a lot of Indians players who were talk who were, who were interviewed for it so Lindor's in there Encarnacion's in there um I don't remember seeing Ramirez in there but he might be uh Santana's in there Carrasco Salazar um and it was just a really interesting read I, I feel like uh so many major league players um you know have a Latino background and so many great players and I feel like to me, one of the most interesting things was the dealing with the media part of it as like English as a second language. Um, I still feel like Major League Baseball and some of the media stuff's not Major League Baseball's fault necessarily. Like they can't control how, you know, outside journalists and stuff cover people really. Um, but I still don't feel like segment of Major League Baseball really uh, gets, I don't know if respect is the right word, but... Um, Anyway, for anyone interested in any of that stuff, you should just go Google like ESPN Baseball, uh, but spell baseball the Spanish way, which is B-E-I-S-B-O-L, uh, and you'll find it. It was, it was worth reading. Yeah, it's really cool. It doesn't get as much coverage, I don't think, just about – it does every once in a while. There's like every once in a while there's a big piece or documentary on it, but it's not a consistent thing where it's being covered, covered the transition from a different speaking language country to playing baseball in America, which I think is really neat. Yep. And I think Jose is one of the best at sort of bridging that gap because he's so engaging about everything. And it's fun how with Andre not or Andre not they kind of go back and forth with each other. Andre's getting to say another English word in an interview. And Jose will just drop a you're welcome at the end and walk away. And I don't know. He's just a really great personality. Uh, so, Jason, yeah. anything else this week that you're looking forward to? Because that is all of our questions. Uh, no, hoping the winning streak continues, or even if they don't win every game, that they continue to win more than they lose. Uh, 
hopefully they are in first place for the rest of the season. Uh, hopefully my daughter learns to take a nap without me pushing her in the stroller <laughs> so I don't have to do two 90-minute walks a day. So that, that's what I'm looking forward to. Are you like a, a podcast listener while you walk or just taking the sounds of nature? What do you do? Uh, no, I mean, sometimes just kind of look at her and walk. Sometimes fussing with my phone. Um, podcast, that's a good idea, though. Podcast, books on tape, something like that. I'm like mildly worried that the noise would disturb her. I'm sure it wouldn't, but... Oh, you never know with kids. Like, one minor thing changes that you can't think of, and then it's like, oh, it doesn't work anymore for some reason. So I can't blame you. Okay. Uh, well, everybody else listening now, thank you for listening. The Indians, as of now, are up 11 nothing on top of the nine. So Jason's ruined everything. You'll find out in about mm, 10 minutes or so. So <laughs> if you're listening now, go ahead and watch that. Oh. Sorry. We didn't even talk about the fact that Andrew Miller picked up his first save, and Terry Francona said that he's going to flip-flop their roles from time to time. Oh, that's true. I forgot about that. Oh, Terry, he actually said he's going to do it more often. Before, but I just like was going through all my tabs that I closed and we're done with the podcast and realized we didn't get into that. Uh, any thoughts on their roles sometimes being flip flopped? I think it's awesome, but why? That's what I don't get. Is he there any reason? Like Francona talks about feeling like he's overusing Miller, that like, even though he's still sort of like in the postseason where it's like, Oh, I can go to Miller for, you know, more than an inning. And I think he feels like he's been doing that too much. And that by some games thinking of Miller as the ninth inning guy would, would help him not burn Miller's arm, I guess. You just need someone to tell him to stop using Miller basically. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you can just do that in the seventh, just bring him in with two on and have him get a couple outs and don't bring him back out. But yeah, I'm fine with it. If he, as long as he thinks he's using him in the best place, as long as he's not just saying Andrew Miller's a closer now, he's a closer because I said so. I think it's fine. Yeah, I, I, I can't tell if it's like if, if Francona knows going into each game who he's yeah, going to use. Yeah, that's what I don't want, yeah. Or if he's just making it up as he goes along but is more willing to to flip-flop the order. In any regard, they're, they're both having – they're both doing well. Uh, but it'll be something to kind of keep an eye on and, and, and see how they're used in the coming weeks. I don't know. Didn't Miller's ERA explode to over one? Back to our regularly scheduled closing of the podcast. <laughs> well, I don't know about Miller anymore. His ERA is 1.51 now, so basically the worst pitcher in the world. For a while there, it was like point twenty one. So <laughs> that's a big leap, but he's he's amazing. And yeah, I don't care when they're used. They both said last year they were good with it, and they never really got swapped, so I'm sure they're fine with it now. Um, so yeah, on that note of more interesting news, we will talk to you guys next week. See you then. Oh,